Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights, here with Pete Williams. You might recognize the name. I certainly recognize the name and have for a long time. So I'm going to enjoy talking to Pete, hearing his uh, origin story, some of the uh, really interesting things he's done that intersected with the hobby. But first, thanks sponsors, Tops Panini and Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Huggins and Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, comc.com, that's C-O-M-C.com, and then Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. So Pete, great sports writer. Haven't seen you for a while, but looking forward to catching up today. Tell us about your origin story, your earliest recollections of collecting and why you chose the path you chose. Yeah, I grew up in Virginia, uh, all over Virginia, but specifically my formative collecting years up until the age of 11 in Richmond, Virginia. So not really close to professional sports at all, but thankfully I had what was then the AAA Richmond Braves playing in my backyard. And my dad took me to a lot of games there. I saw the likes of Dale Murphy, Brett Butler, uh, a bunch of other guys, you know, Mickey Mailer, Rick Mailer, guys. The, the Atlanta Braves weren't very good, and, and thus the Richmond Braves weren't that great at the time. And that, for me, was going to old Parker Field, which was torn down many years ago, and collecting cards and pennants and getting some of my first autographs. I, I wish we had smartphones back then to get photos of, of me, young seven-year-old me with Brett Butler and Dale Murphy and the like, but instead I have some faded autographs, and that's fine, too. So you were a collector at that time. When did your writing bug hit? Because you're more famous as a sports writer. Yeah, I guess I was one of those fortunate people to go to college and, and realize, A, what I wanted to do, and, and B, about the only thing I was good at, and that was uh, speaking and writing about sports. And so I had that, and I, I went to um, uh, the University of Virginia and joined their student newspaper from day one, and it was really the golden age of Virginia sports. I know they're the, still the reigning national title champions in basketball, but back then we uh, had very good teams across the board. I had classmates like Herman Moore and John Crotty and people like that who went on to significant careers, and so that was huge as well. And so I, I knew I certainly didn't want to go to law school or any further education beyond that. So fortunately, I got enough experience and enough education in those four years that I didn't have to go on any more. You have a party trick that you were telling me about, and Rich Klein has a variation on this, but I'm going to respond to your party trick. Tell us how you do it, and then I'm going to give a, a mathematical corollary to that. So yeah, I, how do you know how old someone is if you ask them a certain question? Yeah, and this only really appeal works with men because men, let's face it, uh, are overwhelmingly uh, the gender of, of sports card collecting. But when I meet people my age or roughly my age, and I'm Gen X, I'm 51 years old. And so when I meet guys and I start talking, I say, oh, you collected, really? And I say, uh, what year would you say you started collecting? And they say, well, I started in uh, 1976. I say, that's very interesting. That means you're probably 51 years old. And they're like, wow, how'd you get that? And so what I figure is the prime collecting years for most people, especially Gen X and older, were from six to 11. And therefore, if your first year collecting was 19. 76, that makes you probably 51 or, or I guess 52 uh, at this point. And so I'm unfailingly accurate. I wish I could monetize this skill, but it hasn't gotten me very far at this point. Okay. Here's my corollary. Your rule is subtract six from the first year they collected. Rich Klein's right. rule is seven. Okay. And here's my uh, professorial determination. It depends on whether an early reader. <laughs> mm -hmm. I think you got to be able to read. And so if you're reading at six, or if you're a slow reader and you're reading at seven, I would calculate either six or seven. I've used seven because the average dude sometimes is into first grade, which I think is about seven. So, And, and you know. it's interesting that, uh, Jim, I think what it also depends on is where you started school. For instance, I started school at a younger age. I have an October birthday. I graduated high school at the age of 17. I'm three days older than Brett Favre and a month older than Ken Griffey Jr., all of us graduated high school at 17. That doesn't happen anymore. Men with October birthdays and women tend to graduate uh, at 18. Brett Favre was a 17-year-old starting quarterback for Southern Miss. That will never happen again. I guarantee it. 
That's not just a sports insight. I think Malcolm Gladwell wrote about the fact that it's not just the 10,000 hours of practice. There's some advantage to when you were born and what part of the year in youth sports. If you're born a certain time, you go on to a great career. If you're born a different time, you go on to be a great collector <laughs> and watching yeah. on the field started playing because the older kids have an advantage. Okay. So you were an excellent writer. You're famous for card sharks, which now is 25 years old. And I, I want to recommend that people get the book. I think you can still get the book on Amazon. I, I got it back at the beginning and read it. I remember you interviewed me and were, were very kind in what you said. My point, my question that I've been wanting to ask you for a number of years now is that was in 95. I don't know if the research was in 94, 95, somewhere in there, but I think the book came out in 95. I had a heart attack in 96, and I'm just wondering how the book would have been different. We had a baseball strike in, in 94, 95. That really rocked our company. And then in 96, I had a heart attack. And so just everything was different after that. And yet Card Sharks came out right in the middle of that. There was a, a point in time when the hobby was super strong. Uh, and I was still very day to day. And I'm trying to figure out how I even had time to respond to your interview because I was at three full time jobs. But what's your perspective on that now, looking back 25 years later? Yeah, the book research was done from June of 93 until August of 94. So your health was probably okay. still strong at that point. Yeah, yeah, and I, I'm guessing I used to piggyback. Uh, my trips, uh, I'm sure I came down to, to Dallas to do something on the Texas Rangers and piggyback to visit on you. I, I marvel, of course, I was 23, 24 years old at this time, but I, I marvel at how insanely productive I was at that time without a, a marriage and kids and everything else. And now in fairness, and, and also how insanely productive I was without the internet and cell phones and everything else. You know, you, If I called you on Monday and said, hey, Jim, I'm going to be in your office on Thursday morning at 10. Does that work for you? And you'd say yes. And it was understood that we would have no further communication until I showed up at your office at Thursday at 10. We wouldn't have to confirm this six different ways. Inevitably, one of us would bail. We had just better manners and time organization, ironically, before we added all this technology to it. So that's another topic. But I, I guarantee you it was an interview we set up and, and didn't think a whole lot of. <laughs> and, and here we are talking about it 27 years later. Most of that book was historical, was based on what had happened from your perspective, interviewing a, a wide range of people, including me. Any thoughts you've had in the interim 25 years about updating it? I know Rich Klein was telling me he would, would love a sequel, but it couldn't be a pure sequel, but just, I love it when a writer with talent looks at our industry, the good, the bad, the ugly, not everything's perfect, but I think you tried to tell it like it is from your perspective. But what do you think about 2020 now? Is, is there a book, uh, not necessarily a sequel, but, but what could be written now with the, what the hobby's been through in the last year? First of all, let me preface this by saying I'm a big fan of sequels with a big gap in the middle. I, okay. I love seeing Harrison Ford and Han Solo and Star Wars again. Sooner or later, they're going to release the second Top Gun movie. I know because of COVID, it's been That's postponed. Right. That's right. right. Paul Newman won an Oscar for The Color of Money, which was a sequel to The Hustler that came out 25 years later. John Grisham, a few years ago, wrote a sequel to A Time to Kill, his first novel sung 25 years later. Now, I'm not going to compare my work to, to any of that by any means, but nonetheless, I think it would be interesting. And about seven years ago, I think it was, not long after the death of Richard McWilliam, the CEO of, uh, of Upper Deck, I started kicking it around. I interviewed some more people and whatever. And I guess I got a little overwhelmed because the story of Upper Deck to that point, when my book came out in 95, Upper Deck at that point was a seven-year-old company. Right. Now they've got another 25 years of history to it. And as I started diving into it, oh my God. So I'll never say never, but, and I think there is a book there and, and I hope to tackle it. I'm struggling to wrap my arms around it. 
I struggled to wrap my arms around uh, writing a book about some of the, my recollections and, and my desire to interview some other people and, and get some uh, 360 perspective. You're a terrific writer. I guess that's the way you think. I I don't think I'm a terrific talker, but it's easier to talk than to write. So the format, you're a pretty confirmed writer, I think, because there's podcasting and YouTube and blogging and different things. So you're still at your core, at your heart, you're more of a writer. Yeah, most definitely. I always feel the the catch-22 to my career is I've always felt like I've been a couple years ahead of the boom. I had a fitness-related podcast as far back as 2006. And I think if I just uh, waited another seven or eight years to launch that. In the early days of Fox Sports News, when they were trying to be a competitor of ESPN, I was working for them. And I, I was a baseball insider reporter before they really had the platform that it was needed. So story of my life. I also wonder, what if Card Sharks had actually come out a few years later when we had at least some internet buzz it came out in 95. And while I had a lot of articles written about it, I can only imagine in uh, the internet era, let alone the social media era, what kind of buzz I would have generated for the right. book. So kind of the story of, of my career, but it, it's been fun and I, I have no regrets. What about your collecting? Since you've been in the sports world, you've been around players and teams. Are you more of a card guy, more of a memorabilia guy at this point? I think what I've come across, Jim, is it's more of more memorabilia of my life, I like. And what I mean by that is I, I do have about the only cards I've hung on onto is my 1969 set, which was the year I was born. So I obviously collected that years later. I have a vending machine of the National Sports Daily newspaper, which was slightly before my time professionally. It was 1990 and 91, which was my last year or two of college. And, and also I have a Dale Murphy collection because he was my guy growing up in Richmond, Virginia. So everything else, I dare say I've become a bit of a minimalist in my middle age here. And so I've sold off everything else and, and kept what really matters, which I, I guess is good advice. How many of your 92 Tops Stadium of Stars cards do you have? <laughs> I do not have any 1992 Tops. No, no, you at the Atlanta National. Oh, those. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. From the National. Yes. It's so what you mentioned with them because I'm getting questioned about what I'm doing. They're coming back in vogue, I think. Yes. When Tops at the 1992 National Convention in Atlanta made cards of us, I took this very seriously. I went, I was 23 at the time and not far removed from my high school playing days. I, I guess I could pass. And so I've always kept a bunch of 1992 Braves cards from that year, the year Tom Glavin, John Smoltz and whatever. And I've had my card displayed with them and I still have most of those. In fact, I was cleaning out a, my desk the other day and found some more. I thought I had them all together. So, so yeah. They are back in vogue, and I think people would love to have that. I think I have one. I think I may have traded you back in the day, one of mine for one of yours. I think that's what's the intention. But I, on the other hand, refused to wear a Braves uniform top because I was a Pirate fan at that point, and that was probably the last good year of the Pirates or so. That's right, pretty much. We went into the dark ages. But And teams, are you still a Braves guy? I guess as a sports writer, I became so impartial through those years. It was growing up in Richmond, the son of a mom from Pittsburgh and a dad from New York. I, I was a bandwagoner through the 70s with the Yankees and Pirates. And then and I ultimately, my allegiance became the Atlanta Braves from growing up with the Richmond Braves. And, and as a young sports writer with Baseball Weekly, I had to put that uh, aside. However, it was really cool that as soon as I joined Baseball Weekly out of college was the beginning of the Braves uh, run, which pretty much has continued for 30 years with a few hiccups here and there. Last question on card sharks. I, I didn't get the sense that there's anything. If you did a sequel, you'd have to correct the record of anything because I think all of your quotes and comments were attributed. You, I don't remember there were a lot of nameless source kind of things as much as right. people. You're a serious journalist, and so I respected that. But like I said, a lot more water's been under the bridge now, and uh, the hobby does not lack for twists and turns. And 2020 could have a book in its own. And so I'm calling out to you as a last approach here is that I'd love to get a writer of your caliber to dig in and try to 
give some perspective on what's going on in our industry and make it uh, whether and again you don't have to limit it to a book it could be a blog it could be a podcast it could be uh, youtube with all the excitement that's in our industry now it could easily go viral with thanks I appreciate that. With Card Sharks, thankfully, there was nothing. Uh, I did finally a digital version of it about three years ago, which is how most people find it now on Amazon. And so, but what it nagged at me is like any book, there were you know, a half dozen typos in it, just weird uh, things that had gnawed at me through all these years. And I had my first copy highlighted with those six things. And so I was able to fix those misspellings and whatever. So the 2017 digital version online should be perfect if that's the one you want to read. We're going to end on a note of we are in sync. <laughs> That's what I would do. If I got any of my old price guides, I'd be haunted by a type over two. So thanks, Pete Williams. Thanks for your contributions to our industry. Thanks, listeners, for uh, making it possible. Let's be back tomorrow. The